Hey guys, welcome back to the Pod of Greed. I'm Paul. And I'm Alec. And we're going to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Card games and all sorts of other stuff. This week we've got... There's definitely other stuff. Yeah, definitely other stuff. And um, a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh! news. And we also will be using you guys' suggestions and actually drawing the cards out of the Pod of Greed. Yep, we put them in this time. For the first time. And just a reminder to everybody who missed it last week, uh, the podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anywhere everywhere. you can use an RCA. RSS. But yes. <laughs> YMCA. All right, so I guess we kick it off with the Yu-Gi-Oh! news? Yeah, we usually start with Yu-Gi-Oh! so we can just get to it. Yeah, okay. Uh, I guess I'll let you start. Um, yeah, so not a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! news, to be completely honest, just here in the past week. A few small things, though. Um, so Master Duel did the Double Deck 1 challenge, or like I guess it was like sort of an event. This was interesting. So basically the way that it works is you build two decks using your own cards. Um, one deck for going first and one for going second. So you know how like when you queue up in Master Duel and you do the coin flip. So it's yeah. like if you get if you win the coin flip, you'll get to play your going first deck. If, you, if you lose the coin, coin flip, flip, you'll get to play your going second deck. Wait. But what if you win lose the car the coin flip and your opponent elects to go second? Then they'll still be getting to play their going second deck, I guess. Oh, Unless maybe in the event, like, you're forced to always go first or second base. On, you know what I mean? Like how, like, some games, Which, if you get if you win the coin flip, you must go first. I guess if you get to always use a going first deck when you're going first and a going second deck when you're going second, maybe you remove the player's choice of choosing whether to go first or not, given that... You're allowed to use the same deck as well, like, for both, if you oh, want okay. to. I mean... I just wonder if there's is any point in me flipping a coin and choosing to go first if I will always have an optimal deck for first or second. Well, I think it just allows you to have like kind of a different play experience. Like, so that, you know, like when you're going into ranked or whatever, you're kind of just committing to using your deck whether you win or lose the coin flip. Right. With this, it's kind of like you get a mix. So, like, sometimes you'll get to play this one and sometimes you'll get to play that one. It's just... Maybe it's like a little bit more fun in that way. I don't really know. I guess it's a if it might be feel if it it might feel a little hard harder to be cheesed. Yeah, that was my uh, that's what I was thinking because you know like people didn't like that Master Duel does not have best two out of three. Mm-mm. So and because there's no side decking or anything like that, it kind of means you have to build your deck in such a way that you can go first or go second. So you have to kind of main deck. Dark Ruler no more or like Maxi yeah, and Ash like, in optimal evenly matched Feather Duster. Triple tactics, like these things that might be better for going second, you have to main deck at least some of them because you just can't get around the fact that you're going to go second sometimes and you won't get to side and everything's best of one. So this kind of allows you to ensure that you're always getting to play like the optimal thing. But then the catch is that so is your opponent. So like... Mm. You know, that could make for very interesting and dynamic gameplay. Or maybe it's too... Or maybe it won't be. Because I know... In Yu-Gi-Oh, going second decks lately, you know, they're pretty strong. Like, the only weakness of a going second deck is going first. Yeah, when it has to go first. So, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. And I know I didn't actually get to play in this event, unfortunately. I was, like, just really busy last week when it was happening. But I heard generally positive things about it. And I think most people were saying that they wished it lasted longer. Which is... Maybe that could just be the way they go. They do this going forward. I've always said that I think Master Duel, I know like they do the events like kind of, you know, there's always like kind of an event going on. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought it'd be cool if you could just go back and like play those events as their own ranked mode. 
like right. the Fusion Festival, the Exes Festival, the Attribute Festival, or whatever. I don't like all of them. You know, some of them have been like mixed. Like I didn't like I really enjoy the Exes Festival. I really enjoyed the Fusion Festival. I didn't get as much joy out of the Synchro Festival, but I also don't really have like a Synchro deck I really like. I mean, that was Combo City, so I mean, yeah. Like I played the Red Dragon deck and got some decent results. And then like there was the all normal you and did? yeah, in the first Synchro Festival, I played the Red Dragon Archfiend thing. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't even really love the deck. I was just trying to put something together that would work. So Fair enough. But I think that those should be like standalone modes that you can just always play. Like, even if they're not the current live event happening, mm-hmm. I think it'd still be nice if you could just queue into them for fun. So that reminds me of like recently when um, Fortnite reduced some of their game modes because they introduced ranked and mm-hmm. then they reduced some of their game modes to keep the uh, player pipeline going into a few channels. Yeah. I think it's important for Master Duel to not let us do too many different things. Yeah, because I guess it, it would dilute it. Yeah, if those queue times ever slow down, one of the biggest selling points of Master Duel is you click that ready to duel button. And it's pretty instant. Yeah, and you go. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me really that Master Duel's casual mode, which seemed like a good idea, like probably when it was released, is kind of has that problem. Like, it's mm-hmm. not... Casual mode, so there's no rewards, which is already, like, not cool. And then, like, in addition to that, queues take a little bit longer because not that many people play it. Um, some people troll. You don't... It's weird. It's, like, it's what you... You think you want a casual fun deck mode, but then you realize there are some people who just take, like, tier elements or, you know, whatever kind of the strong deck is, and they just ruin other people's experience. Or, like, I don't know. It's, like, I think that... It would be nice to have more modes, but I totally get what you're saying, where, like, you don't want them to, any one mode to feel dead. Yeah, you don't want any one mode to be dead, and whatever, they don't, you know, they don't want to take people away from the ranked mode. That's the thing. Right. It's Because that's um, got to always feel yeah, alive. Yeah, it has to feel alive. It reminds me of the Overwatch, and guys, let me be clear, I don't actually play Overwatch anymore. I was very upset after that whole, uh... Debacle. Uh, debacle. The cancellation. So I haven't played in, in a while now. But in Overwatch, it's very important to keep that quick play queue going. Yeah, the, you don't want people to have to wait. Yeah, it's super important for to them that when people hit quick play, they can get into a match as fast as possible. And for the most part, you do. If you look at ranked mode in Overwatch and competitive, mm-hmm. you click that button and that thing takes a while. If that if if yeah. their quick play mode was like that, Overwatch would be completely dead. Yeah, I will say one other thing that I feel Master Duel could definitely use as a mode is like a draft mode. Because believe it or not, the Legacy of the Duelist games had like the Battle Pack Draft mm-hmm. as their online mode, and that is like while niche is one of the more fun ways to play Yu-Gi-Oh. We know I, we've I done videos. Draft. I love it so. Yeah, like the battle packs are really well designed and like I think that in Master Duel it is already kind of starting to have that issue where people get a little overwhelmed with what modern Yu-Gi-Oh can look like once you you know like it's known like it is, goals that's ranked to stay in once you get into platinum it starts to get a little messy. Doesn't it feel kind of archaic to be playing this is a digital card game. It's online, it's all automated. Mm-hmm. That you're playing one format still. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it yeah. I think that's kind of why they're trying to do the festivals and stuff so that you kind of get to have other ways to play. But I think a draft mode should just definitely be a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Draft, maybe bring in this, uh, what was it called again? Their dual events. 
Yeah, like the one deck, two deck thing, yeah, like all kinds of things. Thing. I, those should. Oh, and they added a master rank. Sorry to cut you off. They 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 added like one more rank. Oh well, yeah, one above. The, and didn't they they broke up gold or they made gold lot bigger? They made gold larger. Um, like so, it's like you, it takes more wins, I think, to get out of gold, and also it takes more losses to get knocked down from platinum, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly how that all kind of shakes out, but basically it seems like uh, the objective is to make it where like people can enjoy gold and a little more, and maybe platinum can also be like a gold 2.0. Because like we were saying before, like you like Mastral has this reputation where like after you get out of gold. The fun kind of deck stop for sure, and that's when it gets a little bit yucky. So maybe that can help with it. I don't really know. I haven't played Master Duel in a good bit. I'm going to start playing again tomorrow because tonight's the update when we're recording this that puts the new ban list into effect. He's been saying that for like a week. When this new ban list comes in, I'm, I'm telling. Well, no, I really will. It's just that I got burned out by tear, man. <laughs> it, it, it really just took me out of the Master Duel experience. I love Master Duel to death, you know this, but like tear just got. It was, it's just too much. Like, it's, yeah, it's really fair. not good. So, um, there's also some new figures. Some new Yu-Gi-Oh figures. Oh, okay. Figures. Oh, yeah. Not figures. Master figures. But, um, so, Amakuni's Yuma Sukumo figure, alongside a Rainbow Karibo figure, will be available for pre-order until October 5th. I don't know if you've seen... Actually, you showed this to me, I think. Yeah. Briefly. Yeah. yeah um, we'll have it linked, I guess, in the description so you guys can take a look. Or maybe I'll put it on screen. That was actually, seeing that figure was the first time I liked Zexel. Yeah, so I'm just really, really glad that it's not, like, don't get me wrong, I love my Kaiba. I love my Yugi, I love my Blue Eyes, all that stuff. But it's really nice to see other characters get something for a change. And it's And it's a really, at least this prototype looks really good. It's very well detailed. Um, you know, if you're a Zexel fan, this figure is a must-have. It just is. Which, fun fact, I did not know this, but apparently Zexel... It has like a more of a cult following than I thought, and now a lot of people have been kind of coming around to it as actually like Sleeper, maybe one of the best of the Yu Gi Oh animes. I don't, that's not true. No, I don't know if that's entirely true. I've not watched the series in full, and I know that the biggest issue that people cite is that that first like the major first arc season. is just basically the first season is kind of weak, and just you have to kind of get through that, but then it suddenly becomes like an entirely it's too long thing. for that argument i don't care what anyone says you get like this is bef- this is not the whole oh a season's only 12 episodes no yeah that because Yu-Gi-Oh- that first season is like 50 it drags it's actually a, okay so a little bit there's of a, moments though i'll give it that that the first season of zexo does have moments but my god do you have to work to get there that actually uh a bit of a tangent how do you feel about media where people kind of tell you like, okay, you need to watch this show, but like the first season like kind of is slow, but just stick with it. Like when someone tells you that, do you like what come, do you, are you willing to like trust them and watch a first season, even if it's like maybe 24 episodes or like, Mm, that's a good question. So, or like, does it, should a show not require that in order for it to be good? I, because I've personally recommended people watch an anime despite its first season being kind of subpar. Mm-hmm. But now, when I think about that question being posed to me or that request being made to me, I can't really. I don't know if I would want to do that. I don't think I want to put myself through a yeah. full mid season just for the promise that it gets better afterwards. I mean, 
maybe if this anime is considered like a like a classic, because yeah, I'll go back and watch that. like classic and cult classics of things. But if it's just like an anime that came out two years ago and the first season was kind of whack, but the second season was fire, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not gonna do it. I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's a tall ask because these days there's just so much media to consume that I literally do not have the time to right. like sit and watch like 24 episodes before it quote unquote gets good. I have an example. It's a it's not not a one to one example, of course, but um, I feel this way about Bleach and the uh, Thousand Year Blood Arc or whatever it's called. Um, you know that's Bleach's like final like mm-hmm. arc, and I've heard great things about it. But I got tired of Bleach forever ago, and, and so you're not really willing to. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't yeah. really want to go through all that again to have context for this final arc. I might skip and just watch the final arc. I yeah. might do that. That reminds. So an anime for me is Fire Force. That was one that we all watched together. Um, <sighs> first season was like not even awful. It's just it's kind of kind of slow. Doesn't really explain itself well. It's just season one of Fire Force. Is I think the definition of mid. It's not. Yeah, bad. it's not amazing. It's just, just. But then the second season picks it up so much, and I it's like just so much season. better. But then you have this problem where like it kind of has the reputation from season one of like, eh, it's not that good, and so no one will give season two a try. Yeah. And it's like you can't blame them because it's like, well, you know. And I wish I could tell them, you know, just start episode thirteen, but. In this case, twenty five. Twenty five. Oh, yeah, it's a long one. Yeah, step it up. Start episode twenty five, but I mean. You've missed out on so much. You don't know who yeah. these characters are. It's a bit of a pain. We also, um, just one other last example, is uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. actually. The critically acclaimed RPG? Yeah. I So we, we play a lot of fourteen. you guys know. And it's funny because, like, while I would wholeheartedly recommend fourteen to people, I think it's a wonderful experience, the, like, kind of Realm Reborn story, which is, like, kind of the first just base game before all the expansions start, is a slog. It's slow. And it's, it's, it's not really that it's slow. bad, it's just slow. It's slow, it's very bloated with like a lot of dialogue, a lot of... Filler. A lot of filler, also like the the voice acting's not great in that one, some of the voice actors change later. Well, to be... F- so, I don't I don't um, hate on the voice acting in the first part as much, because we didn't even know we could have good voice acting then. When you're like... Yeah. Before you hear all the good things about Final Fantasy fourteen, like when we first played it, we didn't know it would get better. We didn't know how much better it could be. So I don't think I minded the voice acting back then. But once you get past that point, you never want to hear a yeah. a Realm Reborn voice, voice acted role again. There's those examples, I guess, to bring it back to Zexel, is like, I'm... One day when I get the time to sit down, I would like to watch Sexual and just form my own opinion on it. Like, is this as good as everyone says? Is it still just kind of mid to me? I will say, though, I've noticed that there are a lot of people, and I didn't notice it when it was happening, but I'm noticing it now, who grew up on Zexel. Like, Zexel was kind of their DM. I mean, te- that makes sense. People are born every day. and so, Yeah, but it seems like... People just couldn't be raised on 5Ds like a proper person should be. So here's the thing about that, though, is there's something about Zexel in particular where I remember at my card shop, there were, like, younger teens and stuff, like, people who were, like, 12-ish, who were, like, wanted to be number hunters, well, like, yeah, in the real game. The show. Yeah, and that was, like, the show's, like, gimmick and thing. But what's interesting about it is, like, I don't think that, at least yet, the other ones have had those same, like, Arc 5 and, obviously, Vrains is still fairly fresh. And it's even like, 5Ds, like, it feels like Zexel did something right? I don't know. I don't know. Paul, 
how many people have shown you their Siner Dragon tattoos? Only like two in real life. Only two? I feel like I've, I've seen, seen like a lot online. Seven or eight or not. I, I feel like people have wanted to be Siners as kids too. Yeah. Now, I don't think that really works with like dual monsters or GX. They didn't really have an equivalent. I guess in GX, you want to be a dual academy. Yeah, you just want so. to be at dual academy. Speaking of GX, by the way, um, there is a new Revoltech Jaden figure. It's kind of one of these, I'll link it in the description, but like it's kind of oh, one of these ones that's cool. got more like opposable parts. It's not really my type of figure. I don't really care as much for these kind. I like the more like statue right. display things. And they also are doing some critters. This is from um, Treefig or Treyfig's monster collection. So they have, um, I think it's Arm Dragon Level 3, mm-hmm. Dandelion, Winged Karibo, Crystal Beast, um, Ruby Carbuncle, Ojama Yellow, and Neospatian Grand Mole. I want that Grand Mole. So I would like to get all of those. Those are some cool figures you can like pre-order and get your hands on. Order me one. So that's all I think I've got for Yu-Gi-Oh! News. Have I mean, you there's seen a or heard anything more. else? I mean, last week, Wild Survivors did release. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, Wild Survivors. Um... I think we might have mentioned it a little bit last week, but sets out. I like. I'm. I'm going to end up in my rant about these like deck builder packs like, that I've always focus had. on what you because know, the I difference like between first. yeah difference between this week and last week is now you've held opened held and seen the cards. It's only made my opinion go down. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, I'll be all right. So, Wild Survivors deck builder set. It's got three pretty cool archetypes. There's what the Transcendosaurus, yes, kind of a new dinosaur, normal monster based thing. Which Transcendric was easier to say, but okay. They look really cool. I really like them. Um, I am not a dinosaur fan myself, so I can't. Me neither. You know, do you have any thoughts on Transcendosaurus? I think um, retooling these old uh, vanilla monsters into another archetype is a cool and efficient way. To design cards. Mm-hmm. I just wish they weren't like fairly generic dinos. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like you're, you're kind of more like me where it just feels like Soul Eating Over Raptor and Ultra Ultimate Conductor Tyranno. You kind of co-opt any dinosaur strategy. I've had my board flip face down too many times to like really be excited for a new dinosaur archetype. Yeah. So the next one is the um, Nouvelles. I'm probably butchering that really badly. No, I think it is actually pronounced Nouvelle. The French cooking archetype. Um, I think that they're pretty cool. It was neat to see like Hungry Burger kind of get some time in the spotlight. They built an archetype around it so you could use it. I did find out that um, so the Nouvelles are a combination of French cooking styles and the... Oh, I can't can I say it right? The Ars Goetia. Okay, I've heard, a, I think I've heard of that. It's a grimoire, which is a, you know a book of spells for, I think in this case, conjuring demons. So that's why the foods kind of like demonic forms. And all the uh, all the monster names, the ritual monsters. It's a combination of a like a recipe or a cooking style or recipe, plus a a particular demon's name. Right. Yeah, and so they have a really neat gimmick. They tribute opponents' attack position monsters. And they have ways of getting their monsters in attack position. It sucks that they did some of them at least have to target. Because that's always, that's just like a little bit, that's asking a bit much because you might just rather use a kaiju. But I think that the concept is cool. And I was um, talking to Alex about it the other day. I think it's really cool that Konami still manages to find different ways to make ritual archetypes feel unique from each other. Oh, I thought, I really thought you were going to say Konami finds different ways to make uh, ritual archetypes mid. I mean, I don't, as far as how good this one is, it probably 
is closer to the mid category, but like I think it's just I was looking back, it's like okay, there's Megalith where like the monsters kind of ritual summon each other. Oh my there's like the when dry they got their last support. Oh my god, megaliths are crazy. Yeah, that, yeah, megaliths have been pretty wild. Drytron's really cool. Ugh. Even looking back at the old stuff, there's like you know, Necros. So Ugh. they've done a lot of neat ways to like just make ritual function. And it's because fundamentally, right, it's the weakest or most it's just, awkward. It's summoning the most type. taxing summoning type you can be doing. And then we write just tribute summon. Yeah, they made they managed to make monarchs more efficient, really, than but I mean, you know, cool theme, um, neat. So the fun part about both of those is that you can actually build them from the set feasibly. They I think they each have like two maybe two ultras ultra or something. Rares? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's two. Meanwhile though, <laughs> uh our friends the Vanquished Souls. Which is I would say the coolest thematic uh, the thematically, thematically coolest yeah. archetype in the set. Yeah, they're kind of like a fighting game. I like they have the card where it's like continue. And, and the, there's so many, like, fighting game references, like, tucked within that archetype. But it's also got, like, what, six, seven ultra-rare slots? Plenty. The, the vast majority of the, of the ultra-rares are them, and they're the main deck monsters, of which you need three of pretty much all of them. Now, I saw it, what I believe was the in Italian Nationals. Um, a Vanquished Soul deck was either in the finals or, like, top four, something. I wonder how much they paid. Yeah, I don't know, because that was, like, the weekend it had come out. Yeah, they so. must have bought it all frame one. Okay. Um, so, yeah, like, it was really cool. It's just that, like, they're all ultra rares. And believe it or not, I don't have a problem with them being a lot of ultra rares. What I really have a problem with is the pull rates on these deck builder sets. Yeah. I have whined and bitched and moaned about this for ages. And I'll try to keep it short here. But I think that it is highway robbery that Konami is, like, that they do the three ultra rare thing in these sets. I don't, like, every other set gives much more generous, like, pull rates and rarities but but they, they have the same msrp and only seven cars per pack instead of nine and a box gives you three ultras yep a normal box of like cyrus or maxis the standard rates like two secrets four ultras and even in like the legendary duelist sets like synchro storm or fish for, or whatever from the deep duels from the deep yeah like you get like seven ultras in those like it's 36 packs per box so you get like seven or eight ultras but like for some reason they're so stingy with these sets Cause they they just want to make us buy lots and lots of product. I mean, that's the long and short of it. Yeah, it's like I get it. It's a gotcha, but like, man, I just I guess it's a little bit discouraging if somebody wants to build these because like these sets tend to not actually retain loads of value long term. So like, they, you know, I've actually gotten a little sick of people calling a Yu Gi Oh a gotcha game. Okay. Only because I think that's unfair to gotcha games. <laughs> Ouch! Here we go. No, I'm just saying, like, oftentimes. Yeah, pull rates on, like, a five-star or UR, like, character are low in gacha games. But typically, for a gacha gamer, you only need to pull the one. And oh, yeah, you get a little different. There's like, there is a limit-breaking, like, mechanic in gacha games where you can get duplicate characters that get stronger. But oftentimes, you get your one per banner, and you just wait for the rerun to try and pull for a second one. But like in Yu-Gi-Oh, we don't have this. Uh, we don't get. There's no cycling back around to try and get and pull the cards we want. We need our set yesterday. Well, I mean, if you count reprints, like the Megatons could be considered the like event cycling back, right? I don't it's think Duelist pack. I mean, they get a reprint eventually. Packs get those types. No, of they've been throwing them in the, the tins. They've been throwing them in tins. Yeah, that's people complain about it because they don't like it. It's like even more to sort through. Yeah, but yeah, they've been putting them in the tins. By the time we get these reprints, oh. yeah, it won't be. Yeah. I mean, uh, hey, 
You're right. I'm just saying. So that's my gripe on them. I still think, though, that the set is really cool. I think the themes are really cool. I wanted to build Vanquish Souls. I probably just won't because it's just a I'm lot of... I'm looking at the Nouvels. I think they're, uh, they're, they're kind of cool. I think they're bad. I don't think it's like a strong archetype by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, so yeah. some support, it might be okay. Um, that is... That's, I guess, like pretty much it for the Yu-Gi-Oh news. Yeah, that's uh, that's all our Yu-Gi-Oh for now. Uh, you know, so uh, th- don't run though. Don't don't leave. We we have more. All right. So what you got? So, you know, we always got to talk a little bit about Magic: The Gathering, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, it finds its way on this podcast a lot. This so, is kind of more positive news, I'm guessing, right? Yes, or I guess if it depends how you look at it. So, former NFL linebacker offers five hundred thousand. That's half a million for the one ring, one of one Magic: The Gathering card. Yeah, so I guess for those people who don't know, that's the the new Lord of the Rings set. I, I don't even know what that set's called. But I wouldn't call it set. Lord of the Rings Match Together. Yeah, so there's that like one ring. There's like one of one. There's, that's all there's they're ever gonna going do. to be one in the entire world. Um. So a per, so yeah. So there are already people who are like kind of putting bounties on it. I guess. And this is a this in this case it's Cassius Mars Senior. He's a he was a linebacker in the NFL not too long ago. I think he's only a year older than me. He actually owns a card shop in California now. He's actually really big into card mm-hmm. games. Uh, I saw him in a video at Frankenstein's. Cool. You know, I there was a there's like an NFL player who was playing Yu Gi Oh. I remember like back in 2019, he got like top maybe 64 at like some YCS. Tops and he got played, more tops than me. Played Thunder Dragons or something. I think it's always really cool when. You see, like, I guess, just people you wouldn't expect to play Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm-hmm. Or, like, card games or whatever. I remember once I went to, when I went to the One Piece Treasure Cup, there was, like, a football player. And he was, like, really into flesh and blood and, like, all these things. And I was just like, that's so, it's just kind of a pleasant surprise. Well, this NFL player is offering half a million dollars for a copy, or the copy, of the One Ring. And it's no joke, because they say his Magic the Gathering collection is valued at half a million dollars. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I actually saw on Facebook earlier that Dave and Adam's Card World, which I think is just one of the largest kind of card game vendors, offered a million. That's oh. their bounty. One million dollars for anybody who pulls it. This now, is that a was weird as of kind a of auction ago, going on. Yeah, it's like an auction for a thing that hasn't been pulled. Yeah. And I was seeing on Twitter that there are people who are like sort of saying, okay, here's what you do if you pull the card. Like, you know, don't do this, do this, look at all these offers. Like, what would you do if you pull it? If I pulled that card, like what, like I would spell out exactly okay, like the moment I'll, you pull it, right, and then like right, what right. happens in the next like week. If I pull that card, the first thing I do is I get it in a sleeve. Right. Okay. Second thing I do is I I get I get a I I'll pop open one of my uh, kind of acrylic cases and just throw it in there. I have a, those magnetic ones we have. Mm-hmm. Throw it in a case. Then. I would find where PSA is located and drive that card to PSA myself. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to send it in the mail. And I would have it. I would. I don't care how much I'd have to pay. I would get it graded from P for by PSA with me in the room. Right. And I guess I need, probably need insurance in case they damage it. I don't know. Oh, because yeah. But once I would get it graded, and then I would go public. I doubt I would be able to keep it hidden for that long. I'm sure some employee or somebody so, would yeah, make it. Yeah, the word would get around. But after I get it graded, I would publicize that I have it. Um, I it will be locked away in a safe. I'm not gonna tell. I'm not gonna say where who's safe and where it would be. But it would not be on my person on on the chances of 
some enterprising individual seeing me as and a you down as a come up. <laughs> And then I'd, I'd then I'd, I'd let them hit me with offers, and then I'd have to just look for whichever ones are the most uh, one profitable, but two, um, which they're all profitable. Yeah, that's true. Almost all yeah, of them. I, right? I wouldn't have paid that much for it, but um, uh, look at for qualified offers. So, are they like legit? Yeah, if someone's offering me like five million, but it's a random person in Idaho who I've never heard of before, mm-hmm. I'd rather pick someone more public. Or a company, something that so like the David Adams Card World offer would be. That's a better, yeah, that's a better deal. In fact, I bought a lot of stuff from them for like videos and stuff. Some of the oh. boxes for Rare Hunters and some so singles. They can offer a million for this card, and <laughs> and you're giving them money. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm helping to fund the <laughs> the One Ring um, buyout thing. I guess it a million dollars for one card. And didn't Tyler the Great Warrior just sold? It just sold. That was like maybe three hundred thousand or something like that. I don't remember exactly. That was a Yu Gi Oh one of one. Yeah, I mean, I think that in this case though, it's a little different. I don't know if you would call it better or worse, but different because a any person can pull this card. So whereas, like in the Tyler the Great Warrior thing, he like. It was like a special circumstance, and like he kind of got to make it, but there was never a chance that you or I could have even had that. But doesn't that make so you think that would more? make it maybe more valuable? But I think that there's so in the trading card, like in the collectible world, I was talking to Ruxin about this or somebody. Uh, I think Ruxin might have told it. It's like it's actually seen as more valuable for the card to have to have had a chance of being pulled rather than be like a promo like a or promo. guarantee, even if it was like a limited time thing. So a popular example is like, you know, Blue Eyes, White Dragon, right? Mm -hmm. The most expensive Blue Eyes is an LOB, you know, one, because you had to pull it. The second, I believe, don't quote me, most expensive Blue Eyes is the Dark Duel Stories one. The Dark Duel Stories one, in some ways, could be seen as, like, rarer because there were technically less of them and, like, all that. But because you were guaranteed to get it in the game, Mm. it is not seen as as valuable as, like, the LOB. So it's like, and, of course, there's other... factors and stuff but like i think that's probably why the lord of the rings one is like that and and it's just also like it's what's different now is that with the tower of the great warrior thing it happened a long time ago and the guy's finally auctioning it this it's like we know that it's in these packs that are like getting seeded out today yeah so i don't know if that changes i guess the feeling and the dynamic of it i wonder if um what's interesting this is this is not a true auction these guys are just saying that's how much they're willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. What if when this card finally gets re- revealed and they're not willing to pay the amounts they said they are? I don't know. What if Card World's like, well, we really think it's only worth 700000 After I look at it, it's really only like 650000 I mean, but even if they don't, someone will. Like, because someone will just take advantage of that opportunity to maybe offer more. But, like, what if no one actually thinks it's worth a million dollars? Like, what if this is all performative right now? And when it comes down to True. putting your money where your mouth is, True. they don't think it's a million-dollar card. I think in this article, it even said that, um, like, while Magic is no stranger to expensive cards being, like, sold, like, there was a Black Lotus sold for 600000 mm-hmm. And I think that would be the – I think that was their highest recorded – uh, sale that I guess you could prove. Yeah, it's like is this one ring four hundred thousand worth four hundred thousand more than a Black Lotus? 
Hard to say. I'm curious. I mean, this is actually something I do want to follow because, to my knowledge, we still don't know that anyone has pulled it yet. Yeah. As, as of the time of us recording, so. <laughs> this video goes up, someone's pulled it. Yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, good luck to those of you guys out there trying to buy it. I would love yeah. to pull it myself. My true hope in all of this is that a kid pulls it who doesn't know anything and just like crams in their pocket without a sleeve and then their dog eats it and it's off the planet forever and we don't have to worry about any of this shit anymore. Well, I think that's strangely fitting because in the lore of Lord of the Rings, the one ring had many, many people held it. Many people had no idea what they had when they got it. Okay. It granted you special abilities, but it also made you a target. Yeah. And and then at some time at some point people lost it and it ended up at the bottom of rivers and fish would eat it and it would be poop it out and like Okay, so that's probably what'll happen with this. <laughs> like if it's I'm telling you, if the person who like pulls this makes it public, it's probably gonna end up following a similar Do you think you a know. damaged copy of this card would have value? I mean, maybe not too damaged, but even that will have to have one because it's still one of one. Because the thing is, there are, like, because the Tower of the Great Warrior was, like, PSA grade 7. That's not, like, super damaged. Right. But, I mean, there are, like, more damaged cards that are still worth a lot. Like, what so. if someone's child opened this pack and they opened it haphazardly and just huge crease down the Ugh, middle? Painful to think about. Like, do you think people would be willing to spend anywhere close to what they're offering? No, but, I mean, I still think they'll offer something. Yeah, that's true. It'll be worth something. So, uh, yeah, any other story, card oh, game-wise? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got another one. Um, so, this one pertains to Lurkana. Lurkana, still don't know what the exact pronunciation is. Oh, yeah. I noticed you got a lot of Lurkana. You feel like you're kind of into this game, huh? Well, I, I, I said I was going to follow this game, and mm. uh, I will collect some cards on the side. Right. It's because I, I am a Disney fan. I grew up on this stuff, I, so I do like the idea of it. Okay. I'm just not going to play it competitively. So what but, are we? Um, what's going on? So Gen Con, you know, the convention in Indiana, yeah. the tabletop one, is supposed to have a bunch of Lorcana events. Yeah, I think they said they're going to have three different ones, and people have signed. People went crazy signing up for it. Well, Gen Con just like a few days ago, or was it? Was it a few? I think it was like, well, I guess it was last week. Okay. Last week, Gen Con said that, uh, yeah, um, to everyone that signed up for multiple Lorcana events, you can actually only go to one. Okay. And so people were very upset about that because they, some of them went to Gen Con with the express intention to farm events. Lorcana and events. Like and, but I think this was what Rave, this was a decision by Ravensburg. That's her name? No, Ravens Burgers. Ravens Burgers' intentions with Disney Lorcana events at Gen Con 2023 were meant to maximize the number of, number of attendees that would be able to play and participate during the convention. Yeah. Which is, which is exactly what they should want to do. But this kind of leans into the kind of thing I talk about every time I bring up a Lorcana story. Card gamers are card gaming. Mm-hmm. Where um, we, you know... If I, it, oh, there's three Lorcana events. I'm signing up for all three. Yeah, because if you sign up for all three, then it's like, like whatever, it's three like, chances to top and also any like promos, any promos and rewards. Stuff. I can get all these. So you think it was a good call for them? Yes. To, I agree. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. It's, it's like you said, it's a new game and it's probably for the best that more unique people get to play it mm-hmm. than anything. 
Um, so like I said, I want kids to be able to play this game. Yeah, so hopefully that can work out. I mean, I know like with this game in particular, it's something that will be attracting a lot of eyes, I think, in the collector space and like those sorts of like early promo cards and demo decks and mm-hmm. that will probably have a bit of a price tag attached to them online. So I would really rather not get so scalpy from day one, you know. Well, we might not have to worry about that. Might because a breaking story that crossed my eyes only minutes before we started this podcast today. Okay. <clears throat> Still concern, concerning Arcana. Upper Deck sues Ravensburger over allegedly stolen game. Uh, are they talking about Lorcana or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Upper Deck sent out a press release stating that they are suing Ravensburger over the publication of Disney's Lorcana, which they allege was stolen from an Upper Deck original game by a previous Upper Deck game designer. Okay. Keep reading. I, I, I want more. This is a quote. We investigated significant time and resources to develop a new and novel trading card game. Our current leadership values the importance of protecting intellectual property of both Upper Deck and its licensors, said Upper Deck President Jason Mashera via press release. We want gamers and fans to continue enjoying and having access to unique, innovative, and immersive trading card games. We encourage the we, we encourage competition in the industry, but also strongly believe in playing by the rules to ensure the gaming community benefits from the different creative choices by each manufacturer. Okay. So, this is a developing story. There is no more... Not much else to say yet. Yeah, there's not much to say yet. Uh, thoughts? So, woo. Yeah? I didn't expect um, Upper Deck to become relevant in, Again in 2023. Yeah, in the trading card game space. But this actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they're lying about this. Um, there's a real chance that Lorcana or the game that inspired Lorcana was being worked on at an up in an in upper, upper deck, deck by facility. an upper deck employee, and then they left or they were fired. And they went to some new company, Ravensburger. Yeah. And they pitched this a similar game idea. Okay. So what does like what does Upper Deck do today? I don't even I mean that in an offensive way. I think way. they just do, they do still, sports cards. They just still okay, it's like a sports cards thing. I don't know what else they do. Because I know that all I honestly know about Upper Deck was that they used to do Yu-Gi-Oh! And they had that big, like, lawsuit with Konami where they were making, mm-hmm. like, fake cards or kind of, un- or at least unlicensed, unapproved cards and, like, putting them into products. And Konami was like, okay, you got to cut all that out. They had a big falling out. And now Konami handles all the printing and everything else. So my, I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth for Upper Deck after, like, hearing about that story. But since then, I assume that they've been pretty much on the up and up. It's interesting. I wonder when this game that they're suing over was conceived like I wonder I know, I know that doesn't really have anything to do with the lawsuit itself like that well it might have something to do with it okay because um it, they make no mention of when they allegedly uh when this person was employed by them and they came up with the idea and worked on it with upper decks uh team or of designers yeah because there's a there's a real chance I mean that if this was back in like let's say 2002. Do you do you think they own an idea from two thousand and two that they didn't produce? I mean, 
I think legally they can. I'm not 100% sure. I have a lawyer friend I could ask. I think legally they can, but maybe not necessarily. Well, and I'm not a lawyer. You guys can please, someone more informed can let me know. But I feel like if they have, like, a lot of that in writing and, like, they have concept docs and stuff, they probably have a case. Yeah, that's why I I, I, uh, I was like, oh, this, this, this is probably, like, pretty real. I mean, this is – it sounds like something that could really be a slam dunk. Like, this could be a very clear case of, yeah, this was an upper deck uh, You plagiarized idea, it. And it, this is, yeah, in a weird way, plagiarism. But there is, like, a weird legal chance, because this is a Disney thing, where they're going to have all the lawyers in the world, yeah. where maybe Upper Deck doesn't necessarily own Lorcana, or at least the idea the behind it. Yeah, I mean, it depends on if it's Ravensburger or Disney that's being sued, because I'm assuming it's Ravensburger. Yeah, probably. they're suing Ravensburger, but at the, but it, so Disney's not being sued. But it still affects but they're them. Yeah, they're tied to this now. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the legal process there, but I don't think that... Disney would is gonna like let this happen without a fight. I mean, like they've got all the money in the world to throw it, all the money, all the lawyers, and I'm not saying like I'm rooting for one party or another, but like I think Disney will probably just like I think yeah. I I mean, come on, man. Like like listen, That's, they're a titan listen, in the when industry. Disney wants like something to happen, like you know what I mean? Like I mean, like right? Heads, like heads know. will roll, people will disappear. There are things I'd like to talk about. But I'm not going to talk about on the pod, but look, Disney yeah. gets things done. All right, yeah, like, they'll get things done if they need to. So, I mean, I, so, I hope for the best for Lorcana because I mean, while I'm not like really playing to play it or anything, it, it seems like it's the it's the card game that's attracted the most like interest. Yeah, the, you know, over the last even someone who's I, I've really enjoyed playing like Digimon and other card games recently. I can't ignore that you know Lorcana has way more hype going into its release than Digimon did. Yeah, so um, an interesting one. Okay, we'll keep our eye on this story going forward. Yeah, we'll keep our eye on. It. I mean, I feel like it's kind of a developing thing, so there might be a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks. Yeah, you know, I have to bring in these uh, AI stories. Oh, let's hear this one. <laughs> so this is this is this is a uh, report about a leak. So it's unconfirmed. So everything I, I'm about to say could just be BS, but it's still fun to think about. All right, or let's hear it. Horrific. Instagram is apparently testing an AI chatbot that lets you choose from 30 personalities. I think I saw this headline briefly. So, so what do they say about it? In a screenshot shared by leaker Alessandro Paluzzi on, twi- on Twitter shows that there seems to be an intro screen for a new Instagram feature. It says the chatbots will be able to answer questions, give advice, and help users write messages. It also says that users will be able to choose between 30 AI personalities and find which one you like best. Oh, boy. So Meta hasn't announced any formal plans for this, but they have, like, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta have shown interest in chatbots publicly before. So what do you think about it before I give my take? So I really think we have to be very careful with exploiting the conveniences that AI give us. Yes. You using AI, AI's biggest use right now is making mundane tasks simple. Mm-hmm. And so we t- we can take the thought out of a lot of the things that we do. Communication I think is one of those things we should not be using AI for. Yeah. Um I I've look I'm guilty, you know, I've written a YouTube description with AI before. <laughs> 
I guess that's a that's a lie. I didn't write it. The AI, AI yeah. did. You prompted but, it. But to to be able to get a chat bot and reply to messages, these are supposed to be one to one communications. Mm. And then you can let it you can choose a personality for it. Yeah. That's dark. It's terrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the implications that people can just put these AI between each other to communicate for them. So sorry, do you have anything else? I was I had a, a bit. I just don't want to see normalized art go. Okay, well, so I have so many thoughts. I'll try to make them quick. So the first thing was, I remember when we were talking about this like last week or whatever about the AI thing. So I, my sister was telling me a story. She, you know, was using, I think she used ChatGBT to write a thank you letter to somebody for like, who had helped, you know, just helped them with something, gotten them a gift or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, and she was telling me like the prompt that she wrote in there was like, Write a heartfelt thank you like letter for this thing that you gave this housewarming gift or something that you gave me, and so it wrote one and like I guess she put it in a card or whatever and like sent it to them, and it made me think: what if in response they were like, "Okay, thank you for the letter." Um, here, like, like they had AI write a heartfelt thank you for the thank you letter, and it just kind of went back. So it's like. You know, I was saying like last week where, you know, what if it's just AI talk, like AI representing Paul is speaking to AI representing Alec. Yeah. Who are, like, so like we're not talking, but our AIs are. It's so, like having digital lawyers. Yeah. So the next thing though is that I'm not surprised to hear this. I don't think this is like, I think this leak is just, it's going to come true because here's the thing. Snapchat apparently already has an AI assistant thing. You can just talk to it. It can just answer stuff, help you out, I guess, help you find content, help you I'm curious. I was like, write what is messages. Sna- I'm saying, how does that help with Snapchat? Is it going to send me some... I don't, uh, I don't know. Send me some pictures? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what it does. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even use Snapchat, to be clear. But, like, I just... It's... Apparently, it exists, and you can just talk to it. And it, it can, you can even, like, send it pictures, and it can, like, identify what's in the pictures, which is, like, a little creepy. I mean, I... Because, like, like was... say I took a picture of you watching mm-hmm. TV. Like, you're in front of the screen. And it'll be like, oh, that's a nice TV back there. Or, like, what what are you? What show are you watching and enjoying right now? The AI's like, going to ask a question? It'll ask things like if that. If I didn't tell it to ask me a question? Because what I'm, I'm guessing is, like, you just converse with it. Now, also, Spotify's got an AI service where, like, it can kind of... You can speak to it, and they can eventually, like, recommend you songs and playlists as you, like, talk to it. How are you feeling right now, Alec? No, are you see, are you are you feeling AI little... should not be able to ask me an unprompted question. Yeah, but it can. And so here's the thing, right? Like, how are you feeling, Alec? You feel a little like lonely today. You just have a breakup. Tell me a little bit more about that. I'll, I'll recommend you some songs. Guys, do not tell the AI how you're feeling. Do not get yeah. let it get inside your head. Yeah, this so is this is how it all ends. That's like kind of so I think like Instagram 100% would do something like this. Where you, they just it just keeps you on the app, it keeps you kind of engaging, right. talking, and then last thought, Instagram has come under a lot of fire in recent years for like how it affects teens' mental health. They have been like asked to you know like finding ways to keep their algorithms safe, finding ways to keep those messages safe, finding ways to keep like screen time to like minimize. Same mm-hmm. with TikTok, and you know there's just like creepy predators and stuff that are on that site. And it's just kind of like there are many sites, not just that. Yeah. One. So, but you know, Instagram's always going to get the heat of it. And there's like the mental health component. You see all your friends, they're on vacation, they're always celebrating, they look so beautiful, they look better than you, they're happier than you. And so it's kind of like, they man. They look happier than me. 
now like you've got this AI where I guess is going to like guide your just guide you through the app like here's maybe what you can write as a caption for your photo or like here's how you could respond to this story or message like it just feels That's like too it's, helpful it's it's helpful in like a kind of creepy way <laughs> it reminds me of the uh, robots and I robot you know Will Smith was uncomfortable with them even though the entire beginning of the movie they're just trying to help and they're they're genuinely helpful but it's kind of creepy you know yeah they're, like they're taking away some of that human factor of decision making and doing things yourself and communicating like that's that's too much and so, here's something oh sorry go ahead as i was quick this last thing i'll say on it is um, good. You know, I'm a big fan of, like, the cyberpunk genre, and I've always had this fantasy of a post-apocalyptic like cyberpunk future for myself and all of us, really. Mm-hmm. I want this for us, you know? But that was through um, cybernetic implants, virtual reality, and, um, like, robots. AI... That that actually that actually is a little much a little much for me. Yeah, that's a little much for me. (laughs) So this and so with this Instagram one in particular, because my my thoughts on AI are mixed. They're developing just as AI is still developing. Like my thoughts on it kind of change every day, right? Like I'm a fan of AI for work. I'm maybe not as much a fan of AI art. Like wait for someone to marry an AI. Give it time. It might have already happened. I heard a story about a Hatsune Miku thing that somebody had like basically married, but that's a different... Anyway, okay. What I was going to say was that like, I'm, I like the idea of AI for work, right? Like if AI can make you like, can help you with coding or help you make like a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. I think that those sort of uses are really good. If it can help you even like, I guess like condense data or expand data and like kind of talk about it, synthesize it for you. But if it can also send an email to my mom apologizing for missing her birthday, then... uh, Yeah, I'm getting to that. So I think, like, AI for work is good. And I think AI for play can be fun or something. But I already don't, and you know I don't. I do not like social media apps in general. I'm really not a big fan of Twitter. I think it's accessible. I'm really not a big fan of Instagram. I use them because I kind of have to for, like, you know, APS brand stuff, whatever. But like I don't like I think that they've kind of torn people apart. They've created a lot of division. They distract people. They eat up like time out of your day. And the AI can repair it and bring us together. That's what it'll by communicating for For us. us. Yeah, because the thing is, it's like when I see people like you know just like locked into their phones and like they're just swiping and scrolling and TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and like you're arguing with people and it's just I've I found myself kind of wanting to cleanse from it as much as I can. The thing is, what I don't understand about this Instagram AI chat bot thing, what the hell is the actual point? Like, what is it really? Like, it's just, at least if it's for work, you can, like, make a spreadsheet and save some time and maybe be productive. With this, it's just kind of, like, guiding you around on a leash uh, through the Instagram app where you just go from your messages to your posts. Like, like what is it going to tell you? that? Like, I mean... Just spend what it really is. Here's the answer: spend more time just on this app on your screen. That's what it comes down to. I think I think it's more of a data collection thing. Oh yeah, and that too. If you you know if if it can ask you questions and you start volunteering information about yourself. Oh, that was see. Here's that was a given. Like that's a given. That is more information for the databases, for the advertisers, for the advertisers, so the AI can more easily direct your attention. How are you feeling? What are you wearing? Don't tell the AI what's going on in your head. That's the only place you're really safe. Yeah, so I'm not a 
fan of this Instagram thing. I mean, I certainly don't think I'll be using it if I can help it. I don't really... Don't really use Instagram to begin with. But, you know, I worry more, I guess, about the teenagers. The children. Think of the children. No, but really, like, they're going to be the ones who are kind of getting into this, like, Snapchat and Instagram and all that stuff where, like, the AI is, like, their friend. And Yeah, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be different for them. Maybe they'll be, like, um, what was it, Yu-Gi-Oh! Vrains, where they have, like, their AI partner friend things. Like. So what personality would you pick for your Instagram AI, Alec? Get out. What, what, That's what, the end of the podcast, What personality guys. would you want? I don't want to. Po- I don't want. Do you want to like talk down to you? Do you no. want it to be like a? I don't want. I don't he want to he talk always to agrees. I don't want to talk. Do to you it. like it when I wear this? I'll wear it again. I don't want to talk. Do to you it. like it when I say this? I'll say it more. No, I don't want to talk to it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, just a little bit of existential horror. I don't. I don't like it. An AI story every week. Yeah, you know, you know, I find something AI related. I talk about it. It scares me. Well, that's cool. I've got another little bit of uh, horror black mirror for you. Uh, was not prepared for this. Uh, so Apple Vision Pro. The new Apple AR headset that they announced. Uh, okay, it's not day. AI, thank God. Yeah, still a little dystopian in feel. So you guys have probably seen this. this yeah, is I actually like this one. Apple uh, sort of, they call it spatial reality, but it's basically kind of a hybrid AR VR headset. Yeah, like mixed reality. Yeah, mixed reality. Got a lot of tech in it. Um, it's $3,499. It That's releases. actually a steal for a first generation product like this. He's being facetious. No, I'm There's not. There's no way you're paying that much. Like I told you before, Paul, being a first <laughs> mover in this type of technology means that there's a real chance something like catastrophic can happen. And like. Sure. Well, at any rate, it comes out next year. And I want your thoughts on it because you are. I'm going to own one. You, you'll see my thoughts AR. in real time. Your local AR VR guy. Like, I'm going to take out a loan. I'm going to go get one. So from what you've seen, though, what are your like just thoughts on kind of the feature set and how it seems like it integrates? So, and the look. It's so it's very close to what I've envisioned for our future. I I say I like I'm the only person that thinks about these He's things. I it's of what many people have envisioned. It's the um overlaying reality with a virtual interface, being able to um analyze and, and interact with reality through a virtual lens to get like more information to do other things. But at the same time, you have the full access of a computer on your face, its own processing power. Yeah, you have the internet. It's a, you have like windows open and stuff. Yeah. This is a, as far as we could tell from the videos, this is a fully functional mixed reality helmet. Now there might be some ergonomic issues I mean, it might still look weird to see, like, your friend walking around the house with one of these on. They have the whole, like, uh, the feature where there's a screen on the front where they can kind of see, like, your, your eyes. eyes moving around and stuff. That might be good, but it also might be weird. I don't know. Well, so I think my understanding of that is that they, the eye thing is so that, like, if I'm wearing this and, like, I'm walking around and you, you see me in, like, Starbucks or something, you might be a little, like, put off by that so it's a oh, for effect so this lets you know whether i'm like looking at you or looking at something or when i'm doing whenever the camera part is not enabled then it just kind of turns into like a it's a glowing thing so that way you know that i can't see you i'm i can ah. only see what's in the screen so it's supposed to be like a way to so you know if someone's like checked into reality versus not <laughs> something about that sounded chilling the way that you said that that's but how um, it works i mean but no yeah like i think that's kind of a at least they it's all Thought. fun and games. So someone makes a nude mod for it. Now everyone you see is naked. Oh, God. They, I mean, like, I I think that it was cool that they kind of considered that. 
I thought, so the things that I liked about it, it having like an entire operating system and computing power within the headset, I think is really awesome. So you could probably get some real work or productivity done on this thing or really consume a lot of entertainment. So the question I have is what work requires such a thing? T T B D. All right, we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like if you want to kind of do your work with like a headset on, you can like, you know, pinch and poke and like stuff. By looking around, you can select menu things. They say that the looking is very, very low latency, like, and also that it's extremely accurate. So like when you just look at a button on a menu or whatever, like it's already there. You can speak through Siri. So like you can type your messages like that. It's like, it's almost kind of a solution looking for a problem though, right? Yeah. Like, do you need this? I don't really know that anyone because i'm not a hundred percent sure the if its benefits so far outweigh a strictly virtual reality headset with like what meta's been making yeah um because there is there is a problem that they are trying to fix what is that problem um workspace collaboration that can be done that can be done across the world but it feels like you're there like yeah you're all in the same place right, so you can okay. collaborate in real time in a three-dimensional space with people from all over the world that's like the bare minimum problem that these are working on mm-hmm. but when we add in like the augmented reality part of it and then like the extra eye thing now i'm at now i'm wondering like so what what else are we solving what does this part is so we all, we don't want to just be able to work in our office with people from all over the world. We want to be able to work in our office with the people in our office and people from around the world, I guess. Yeah. Well. It's also an entertainment device. Yeah, the entertainment part's cool. I know they said, like, each lens is, like, a 4K resolution lens, and they don't want you to ever be able to, like, spot a pixel. It looks like that. It's, like, their high refresh rate displays. So I think optically there's a lot really going for this thing. They say the latency is extremely low. So that all seems cool. Uh, some downsides I've heard, though, is that the battery life is two hours on their little battery pack. I mean, it's a first-gen product. It's so basically not, a prototype that looks nice. Yeah, that's not too surprising. Obviously, the price is quite high. I think that I'm reminded of when, like, the Samsung Galaxy Fold first came out. And it was, like, 2000 bucks. It's, <laughs> they're still, like, that much, basically. Like, it's you don't buy this unless you're, like, you know, you got to be on the bleeding edge, right? This guy. Um, well, actually, I, I can't do it because my, my downside to it is that it's Apple. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't want to pay $3,500 to be trapped in an Apple ecosystem. I don't. That is fair. I like Windows. And then also there's, um, I mean, like, there are just some elements of it that I think are a little bit creepy slash worrying. Like, I still think that like, the see the eyes thing is more off-putting to me than anything. I feel like it reminds me that this person is, like you said, kind of tapped out of reality. Well, if you can see their eyes, they're in reality right now. If you can't, then they are checked uh, But the look out isn't. The it just, I don't know. It's a little uncomfortable. Also, they were talking about how, like, this can take 3D photos. Like, kind of these, these like, augmented reality, like, kind of photos where, like, it's like a photo of your child's first birthday or whatever. But, like, it kind of scans the 3D data of the area. So, like, you can kind of relive it and, like, re-explore it. It's better than a picture. Which is cool, but then it's like, okay, so daddy's wearing the AR, VR headset at, you know, little Jimmy's, like, second birthday party. That means, though, that mom and dad who are wearing these aren't, like, they're not in the scene, though. Like, they're not in the moment. Because... They are. They have the... uh, Their eyes are there. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess a little for Jimmy. little Jimmy, that'll be no- that's going to be how they see their parents with weird helmets on their faces. <laughs> yeah, like, it'll be normal just, for him. Yeah, is that like how kids are going to kind of grow up? Like, what their parents are always wearing this, and just like would In, it not be a little bit weird if it's like everyone's walking around the house with these headsets on? No, for us it will be. For us, we're old now, okay. but I but for the next generation coming up, I mean, they'll expect weird things like that. That'd be normal for them. So, but once again, I just think the only issue I have with this product is that it's Apple and they just want to get you roped into the uh, Apple ecosystem any way that they can. And $3,500 is a lot of money if to get into Apple when you're not an Apple user. Yeah. So I'm interested in seeing where it goes. I mean, I think it seems cool. I won't own one, but like maybe whenever they make like the kind of less expensive version, that's more, you know, consumer focused and like cost. I'll buy a MetaQuest 3. I might not even use it really because I barely use my Meta, my uh, MetaQuest Two. I'll get a MetaQuest Three. Yeah, it's only five hundred. Only five hundred. Only five hundred. It's a console. So, uh, yeah, that's all the stories I've got. That's all I've got too. All right, I think it's time then to time draw to put a couple our cards hands in the pot. Okay, so you all wanna, right, guys. So we looked at some comments on our uh, community tab posts, and we wrote down some prompts that you guys gave us on Yu Gi Oh cards. And like any good pot of greed, we get to draw two cards. Yeah, so we're each going to get to draw two. Um, I, I thought I was going to draw one. You're going to draw one. We'll, we'll yeah. each draw two? Yeah, we'll each. So, I mean, like, we'll, I'll draw one, you draw one, then I draw one, and you, like, you know. Okay. So we each get to draw two. All right. You want to go first? Sure, why not? Draw a card from the pot of greed. All right. Is this the card? Yeah. Oh, didn't work. I was trying to draw the back. epic anime draw. Yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we have the, the prompts written on the... All right, let's see. Okay, so, and these are all summaries of those questions. I couldn't write the whole things. Right, okay. But can the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime or manga reach its peak again? Oh. So, I guess the understanding is that its peak was during the four kids era of cartoons, during the DM era where everyone knew about it. Do you think that it could? I mean, I know like Yu-Gi-Oh! anime today is certainly by no means as popular as it was. What Yu-Gi-Oh! anime? Yeah, well, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! 7s is it's on TV. Oh, yeah, I forgot Yu-Gi-Oh! 7s is on TV. But yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh! Brains definitely dropped the ball, I think, with being kind of an accessible one. What do you think it would take? We've had this conversation amongst ourselves before, so. I think it would take another magical moment within... Like the marketing space, and like, okay, maybe it's impossible because the reason Yu Gi Oh was so popular back in our day was because these corporations weren't so mature in how they handled their IPs. Mm-hmm. When they launched the Yu Gi Oh anime, they would they were like, oh well, we want to launch like merch to go along with it. We want to launch the cards like only months after the anime starts. We we're gonna send these things out to we're gonna contract Toys R Us to send out videos to people. We're going to... Yeah, I was playing on TV. They that. would they spread their IPs wide across as many networks as they could and did a full court press. That was Yu-Gi-Oh!, Digimon, Pokemon. Everybody was just hitting these kids with all the marketing they possibly could. Yeah, so I find myself thinking that there are actually elements of that present today. Um... Yu-Gi-Oh! merch has been, like, on the rise in the last couple of years. I remember when Konami started, like, licensing out Yu-Gi-Oh! to more things. There's been more, like, shirts and figures and toys. They're kind of disparate, though. 
Um, I don't think, though, that we can ever really reach the same heights unless, like you said, there's got to be kind of a, a shift in what it is that kids are into. Like, the unfortunate thing is what kids like are these things. Mom hands, like, you know, little Jimmy a tablet. Mastodon's on here. Right, and, like, they tell him, yeah, I know. You but, can stream Vrains on, I mean, uh, Seven's on here. Yeah, but I think, I guess, but when it's on that tablet, it's competing with everything else. You That's know what I mean? That's fine. You get it strong enough to, like, hold its own. Hmm. But I don't think, I just don't think they're covering all the channels they have to cover. Okay. Like I think what, you so have to have, you have to have a, you have to have your video game. Your card game, you have to have your merch, you have to have your, your anime, TV show. and it all has to be happening at the same it's gotta time. It's got to be a concerted push. You know, I hate, I know it's like an obvious example, but Pokemon does it like really seamlessly. It's why sometimes these new Pokemon video games come out like barely finished, but they do make sure that like when the game launches, the anime is also launching, and when the anime is launching, the toys are launching, when the toys are launching, mm-hmm. the cards are launching, and, like everything is very in sync and like. You, as a parent, your kid will be begging you to buy, like, a new plush of a new thing, and, like, they get the new game, and then you have to get, like, a just what, all of it. Um, in the new Pokemon anime, they are going or have just gone to Paldea, right? Yeah. And the Paldean set in the Pokemon TCG is like either releasing or just came out. Yeah, I think. And then we're going to get our Pokemon Sword, not Sword and Shield, uh, what's, the, what's the latest game's called? It's Scarlet Violet. Scarlet Violet DLC comes out in the fall. Like, yeah, they, they keep it pretty... Okay, here's a, a quick, just divergent question. Um, Do you think that a Yu-Gi-Oh! reboot of, like, the DM era thing would be a good call, or do you think it's got to be a new Yu-Gi-Oh! anime that would that would do the thing? Like, honestly. Because I, I hear this a lot. Seen, have we really seen a reboot from the 90s or 2000s era capture the younger audience? We've seen them work well with, like... Millennials, like millennials, love reliving yeah. our past. So, do you think that if they rebooted like Duelist Kingdom Battle City, that that would be the right choice, or does it need to be something new, like the Yu Gi Oh Sevens approach or something? So, depending on what the goal is here, if you re, I think if they rebooted DM, it could do well. With our age group, but yeah. perhaps not with, with the kids. millennials, it could do well. It recaptures that interest and all that, and it, you don't have to actually worry about playing the cards. Mm-hmm. That could be fine with a new coat of paint and some, you know, that could be fine. But I don't think that would make that will bring Yu Gi Oh back to its peak. If Yu Gi Oh wants to reach its peak and surpass it, it has to reach the new generation of kids as just as well as it reached us. So you think it might need to be like it's a something new. Show. new. Okay, well, I will now draw my card. You don't look in there. I'm sorry, I just wanted to see what it looked like. Okay. Okay, this is very similar to this last question. I'm, I'm, I'm going to redraw. Oh, some of them might have been from last week where they're a little bit similar. Okay. Oh, okay, now here's an interesting one. Somebody asks, um, could Commander exist for Yu-Gi-Oh? Like a Commander format in Magic the Gathering where it's mm. like 100 card decks. It can be played by as many people as you want. Like four people or however much. Uh, could it? I'll say complete, I'll say it could. Okay. Um, it, you know, Commander was a, a player-made format in Magic the Gathering. You know, Wizards didn't come up with the idea for it. And Yu-Gi-Oh already has a an established format that no one plays that's 
similar-ish. Yeah, they have a deck master format. Little known things. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh! does have a deck master format. There are full rules and stuff on Konami's website, although they're very tucked away. They're they're kind of they're not super fleshed out. Yeah. Um, they seem a little exploitable. Like you basically pick a deck master and if it you know, you can summon it at any time in a duel, but if it leaves the field for any reason, you yeah. autom- like you lose. Yeah, you lose. Like unless, in the anime. Unless you use it to make like an a tribute summon or like an extra deck summon or whatever, then the thing that you summon becomes your new deck yeah, master. You, your deck master can be upgraded, but once again, if it leaves the field you lose. Yeah, so they haven't really fleshed those rules out. I would actually suggest you guys like maybe take a look at those. You might want to try it with friends. We've considered trying to do it for a video. It's just a little difficult to... Like, we have to kind of play test it a bit first before right. we show it in a video. Just because um, you know, there's no shortage of ways to get a monster off the board in this game. And it's tricky <laughs> because like you'll just make your deck master like a really powerful extra deck thing like Avramax maybe or like just something that can't be tart. So... Eh. But back to the commander thing, do you think Yu-Gi-Oh could handle like four player? I feel like turns in Yu-Gi-Oh can get so long at times. Maybe they would need to I mean, shift a little bit of that, limit maybe what you can do in a turn. I do I think uh maybe there would the there would have to be some type of a forbidden and limited list. Right. Something to just cut through a lot of the, the interaction that we have yeah. so people can get through a turn. Yeah, because I just think of, like, if I'm playing with four people and, like, you know how long Yu-Gi-Oh turns can go. And I'm not trying to be, like, hyperbolic here. Like, I'm a fan of modern Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. But, I mean, just waiting for three other people's turns just seems... That game will take forever. But I think it could happen. I think it'd be fun. I think it's going to have to be, like, a player-led initiative. Konami seems like they've got their hands full just trying to keep this TCG ship afloat sometimes. It might be... The, a commander format in Yu-Gi-Oh! might be better off as like a sealed deck master type experience where it's intensely yeah. limited, but it's hyper curated for that format. I think it could be fun. I would certainly give it a shot. I mean, I've always liked the, the like we said earlier, the battle pack like yeah. things and stuff like draft can be a super fun time. I think modern Yu-Gi-Oh! would probably be a little, it's a bit too much to try to just make a one-to-one Battle Royale commander style. Yeah, think about it. And that's also a mix of like Highlander too. Yeah. Highlander is the format where you can only play like one copy of any card in your deck. That might be fun, yeah. So, uh, although, uh, maybe with you. Mm, I don't know. No, no, yeah. It, yeah that's kind of a separate thing. It's hard thing. to say for sure. Because you guys tried Highlander, and I remember they even did uh, an event for that in Master Duel, and it actually was not super well received. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh's moved really far past that type of uh, gameplay. I think you just realized like you kind of want consistency in Yu-Gi-Oh to yeah. some degree, so. But I would be interested in a commander thing. I just, I don't think Konami would try it. I think players would have to do it. Some enterprising person. All right. All right so it's your my turn, turn to draw. draw your second card. Second card from the Pot of Greed. The Pot of Greed. It's a lure. It draws you in. All right. Got one. Don't reach too far, though. You might never pull your hand out. Yeah. Well, that's too similar to what Wait, we okay, talked yeah, about. Wait, okay. Yeah. No, take that one out then okay. so we don't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This this and you probably just... got the one I got. It was very similar, to like the first question. No, this is similar to that. To that oh, question. okay. All right. Yeah. We have a lot of cards. Okay. This one's kind. Of, this is more of like a, a silly softball question. Okay. Uh, what do we got? What archetype would you be in if you were a monster? 
Oh, easily. I know which one. I what, what what's yours? Actually, no. We I haven't guess thought each of it other's. yet. We gotta guess each other's. Ah. Okay. Where do you think? What archetype do you think I would be in? Spell books. Yes. Oh. I'm not even gonna pretend that that wasn't Ooh. my answer. Yeah, I'd 100% be a spell book monster. I would just. I I don't know how much of this you guys know. I love like my mage archetypes. In every game I play, I mm. always play like. AOE mage caster kind of characters. I play them in Final Fantasy. I play them in obviously I mean I like Hogwarts Legacy. That's kind of the but like I just I like the the mage thing. I think it's a really cool concept in anime and video games. Right, right, right. Um casting a you know, lightning, ice, fire, very fun. And in, in Pokemon I play like a lot of special attackers. Um I would love to be just in the spellbook mythos, uh hanging out in the spellbook library. You know, he's really the thought a lot about this. Like you would the, swear he came up with this question. I mean, I would kind of just exist in that like spellcaster, you know, like with Endymion and like the witchcrafters and all of them, like they're kind of interconnected. I think you would be. Tell uh, me because I haven't come up with an answer yet. Maybe you'd like. I mean, can't think I have an answer. I think I know. Maybe like Batlin Boxer, Dino Wrestler, something kind of like that. God, might, no. No? Oh, wait, never mind. I know where you would be. You'd want to be in the Cosmos, the Cosmo archetype. That would be cool, except... Okay. See, I personally would not want to be in something quite so dangerous. Yeah, There's a whole intergalactic battle. Okay, so where are you going? But I think if I could be a monster and be in any archetype I wanted, it would be Plunder Patrol. Oh, that'd be really fun. I'd like to be one of those green those green guys. I wanna be I'd wanna be a captain or a navigator or something. I love I have to say I really do love Plunder Patrol. Just, like just the I concept's just, cute. I love those guys. Yeah. What's your favorite Plunder Patrol? My favorite plunder. I know what mine is. I wanna say see, it's hard to like separate them from their effects. Because, like, I, yeah, I immediately want to say the good a, ones. It could be <laughs> both. Like, you know. Maybe it's like, what's your favorite troll? Because, I mean, I, the ships are ships, so. Like, I don't It's hard. I, I like. Uh, it's weird. It, I know this is corny. I do like. I like them I all them equally. All. I really do. I, I think <laughs> I they're cute. I think they're fun. I think uh, their play style is interesting. Um, As far as my favorite one to play, it's Whitebeard. Okay. Because he's really good. Oh, you remind me more of like a Blackbeard. Like Blackbeard's like, the captain. That didn't feel right to say. Like, I don't My favorite one's Golden here. I just think she's adorable. Like, she's the newest Plunder Patrol. She, mm. She's kind of new to the crew. And she's like young and spry and kind of like, you know, just she's getting used to everything. You I can think see her receive her spyglass, which is the sign of joining the crew. Yeah, so I don't know. I liked that. So, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, so. be in, I'd be in a spell book world. And I'd be a Plunder Patrol. All right, I'm going to draw my second card. This is what I needed to take out. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank God we wrote enough of these. Okay. Here is uh, is a fun one. Another kind of just fun question. What's your new Yu-Gi-Oh! anime pitch? Oh, okay. So if I had to pitch... Okay, pitch an anime. All right, um... Sort of similar to the other question of like what would maybe be like a new thing that would draw kids in. But I'm going to approach it more from what I want and not just what I think kids right, would right. like. So my, my Yu-Gi-Oh! anime pitch 
let's picture this, right? Okay, I'm listening. You're in a stadium. Mm-hmm. Roaring fans are screaming their heads off. Yeah. And the sun blazes through the sky because it's an outdoor stadium. It's not an indoor stadium like you'd expect from a card game. Right. And the the wind blows through the grass, the green grass. Okay. And then our you something protagonist runs down the field as a, as a ball flies up in the air. He catches it. Oh, so it's like It's sports. not a ball. It's a card. This Yu-Gi-Oh that I'm proposing is Yu-Gi-Oh, I guess, X insert sport, like essentially. Extreme sports? Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh as a sport. So what if we took kind of like the action duel thing they had going on in Arc 5, uh-huh. and we made it a sports anime? Ah, that'd be cool. So now there's there's teams. Yeah. And uh, you can know you can pick your favorite team or whatever. And you know we have our you protagonist. He's a he's a plucky young talented upstart mm-hmm. and he's formed his own like dueling team and they're going to win the dueling cup. I don't know. No, no, I get you. Like yeah. and like they could, it could be it could be normal Yu-Gi-Oh but with action elements taken from either like soccer or football or something. Yeah. I I don't have it all fleshed out, but I don't know. I, I like the idea of it there. being outdoors and actiony. I actually, when you were first describing it, it kind of reminded me of like Pokemon Sword and Shield's gym battles, where like the gyms are more spectacle mm-hmm. and kind of they like take place in a stadium. There's a roaring crowd. I mean, because Yu Gi Oh's like kind of had elements of that. There were like parts in you know, like Zexel and even like Arc Five and Five Ds and stuff where they would kind of play in a stadium setting. Right. And like I guess Dark Side Dimensions kind of sort of had that too. But yeah, I, mean, I think like making it more of like a sport, kind of with a team, that sounds fun. For me, I think, and I feel like maybe Go Rush is doing this. I have not watched Yu Gi Oh Go Rush though, so sorry if I'm just like I have no clue. I think something kind of intergalactic seems really fun because Yu Gi Space Odyssey. Yeah, Yu Gi Oh's done a lot with like the VR AR stuff, and that feels mm-hmm. like that's kind of been the direction ever since we'll say Zexel. Um, I think it'd be cool to have them, like, visit different planets and just sort of, like, battles that kind of take place in space. I don't know if Jaden's cards came from space. That's true. What is, what, what is that line that Kaiba said? Because um, I figure if there is intelligent life out there, then let's teach them how to duel. That Iconic. Was, that was, yeah, Kaiba's crazy. No, but I, mean, I think that could be kind of neat because there is, a, I guess, a hint that that exists, right? Like, mm-hmm. if the Neospatian cards came back from space... Then there are there's intelligent life out there that I guess has designed cards or monsters or something. I thought I thought Jaden I, I I forget or did he exact, like design them? I thought he came up with those cards and sent them to space. I think well something came back. Something the point is I think back. it would be really cool if like there was kind of just some intergalactic element. Like I said, I have not fleshed it out. I think that maybe our main character, you know, is just from like one planet and he visits other planets and like different planets kind of have meet you Skywalker, Yuke Skywalker, <laughs> Yuke Sky. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that might be kind of fun. I don't know what the archetypes and stuff might look like, or maybe how the rules would necessarily work. But I just think that as a setting, it is something that Yu-Gi-Oh has not explored. Unless, again, unless go rush. I remember I watched like the first episode of go rush. And I think they met an alien from space. So I might be completely just stepping all over that, <laughs> but that's all I've seen of go rush. So I don't know. But wow. 
Yeah. Those, those were inter- those were interesting prompts. So yeah, some, interesting a little prompts. repetitive, but uh, those were interesting. So yeah, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We're gonna try to do that basically every week, where mm-hmm. we I will sort of field questions for you on the YouTube community tab. That's where you can submit them. Um, or in the, the comments APS of this video, one, not, the, not the team APS. Yeah, APS amplifier. Be sure you're subscribed here, and uh, we'll both draw two cards every week. So get to cover four viewer topics. But guys, that's all we have for this week's episode of The Pod Pod of of Greed. Greed. Hope you all enjoyed. Drop a like, do everything else. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Past Past turn. turn.